Flushing girl from Flushing. The nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Uh, uh, Miss Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Oh, Mr. Sheffield, the podcast about the nanny, which is a hit sitcom from the 90s starring everyone's favorite Jew, Fran Drescher. <laughs> well, I should say everyone's second favorite Jew because I am that first favorite Jew, Shandi Pasquale, here with everybody's 49th favorite Jew, <gasps> Torius Sheffield. Um. This was a Passover episode. So, okay, let's just get into this right now because I made this note in in the process of watching this as I had like nostalgic flashbacks to my youth. But this is one of the things, this is definitely one of the episodes that endeared this show to me for life to the point where Many, many years later, I was like, oh, it's streaming. We should do a podcast rewatching it because I have such fond, weird, vague memories of it. And it was one, this was one of those episodes. I was starved for Jewish content as a child. Like everything was like Christmas every year. You know, there was always like Christmas episodes of TV shows because we've talked about this before. <laughs> TV shows used to do like themed episodes, mm-hmm. you know, like Halloween episode and Christmas episode or whatever. And I was starved for anything that related to my life. And so this would have been huge for me as a kid. And we've even talked about in the past how we were like, oh, they do like Christmas episodes. But, you know, oh, I kind of wish they would do like a Hanukkah episode or something like that. Like what a missed opportunity. And then we'll be like, well, maybe the network wouldn't let them or this or that. And it seems like, you know, we're in, we're firmly rooted in season four. It's a hit show. And maybe they have more freedom to do this kind of thing. But it yeah. was so fun. Um, and I guess, we, you know what? We were so excited. We didn't even say it's season four, episode 21, The Passover Story. Yes. And this one, of course, as always this season, was direct- directed by the great Dorothy Lyman. And it was written by uh, my favorite named writer, Rick Shaw. Yes, 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 it was. <laughs> and just for some context also, this episode aired April 9th, um, which makes sense. It, that would have been right around the time when Passover mm-hmm. was happening. Uh, Passover, much like Easter and a lot of other Jewish or other holidays, it's a floating holiday, but it's always in the spring and it's always near Easter. Um, I don't know if a, a lot of people know this, that the the Last Supper, like the famous Last Supper with Jesus, like they're at the Passover dinner. Um, yeah. So that's one of the reasons because why he was Jewish. Yes, he was. He was a good Jewish boy. <laughs> he was a nice Jewish boy. But so um, the last supper was a Seder. And so that's why like when you're, if you're ever like, Oh, when's Passover this year, it's, it's going to usually be around Easter, yep. whatever Easter is. Um, but so that's, yeah. let's get into it. Oh, wait, let's, we should first say what? Not only is it a Passover story, it's also the episode where Fran's old high school rival gets cast in one of Mr. Sheffield's plays. Yes. And Maggie wants to be that person's personal assistant. Not just wants to be, Sean, as we'll get into. Oh, don't spoil no spoilers. Mm, la 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 la. <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch the episodes until we talk about them right now. I Sean's have it watching on it. Mute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he's watching it while we talk. Um, <laughs> so this episode starts off. Um, we establish that Maggie is 
in the process of applying to college or sorry, she's already applied and she's oh, waiting. We already for that. messed up. Oh my God. Start the well, whole episode over. <laughs> if anything, I was like, I think that by April she already would have heard back from colleges. But whatever. Anyway, yes. so Maggie is in that, you know, really stressful uh time of life for a lot of young people. And Mr. Sheffield comes in to the living room and he like excitedly announces that he just got famous actress Morgan Faulkner to star in his new play. And Fran mm-hmm. is not happy. Um, and it turns out that Morgan Faulkner was her old high school rival. Um, so much to the point that she goes, I knew her back when she was Marcy Feldman. She was quite a magician. <laughs> she was, she made half her nose disappear between 11th and 12th grade. <laughs> um, so that this is like a fun, we're already like establishing a fun, I think, um, kind Rivalry. of episode, even if it wasn't a Passover episode. Even as even now, I because I, I didn't I didn't really re- remember that this episode had like an actual Seder scene in it, but just them mentioning that it's around Passover, and then Sylvia comes over and invites everyone over for Passover. Just those mentions, I was like, oh, Passover exists, and people are doing it. This is great. So like, that's all I needed. And then I liked this storyline between this rivalry between Fran and Morgan on top of that. So if that's all this episode had been, I would have been a happy dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but throwing mm-hmm. in a satyr at the end really, uh, really made my uh, my inner my inner Jew uh, uh, light up with uh, like the oil on Hanukkah, like all eight candles on the menorah. <laughs> <laughs> yum 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 yum. Eat. I can taste <laughs> the latkes now. Um, but so we yes we so we actually haven't even established that it's a Passover episode quite yet. We just know the the Maggie College thing and that Fran's big rival is is gonna you know be in their lives for a little while. And then in the next scene, Mr. Sheffield and Niles are talking. And then, oh, sorry, this is actually the scene where we find out that Sylvia has invited them to a Passover Seder. And I just, I literally wrote, how adorable. And then this is interesting. Cece comes in and she uses an expression that I have, I've literally had never heard in my entire life. She goes, I can't believe this. She goes, <laughs> I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but why is Danny fine hiding from Morgan Faulkner? Had you ever heard, I don't want to, or have you yeah, ever heard like looking a gift horse yeah, in the mouth? What? You've never heard that? Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? You've never heard Toria, it. You're, you're, what? The, the, this originates in the story of the giant horse that they that they snuck soldiers in <laughs> because the whole thing is don't look a gift horse in the mouth that's where it comes it was a gift horse and it had soldiers snuck inside of it oh that makes sense well i okay um but anyway so yeah i had never heard that before and it means you know don't question a good thing and i guess it, it has its roots like you said in the trojan horse um yeah. and yeah, so Cece is like, why is Nanny fine hiding? And they're like, because she doesn't want, you know, this woman to know that she's literally the help in this household. And there was also this fun little beat where like Niles kind of burns Cece and then she burns him back. And then she kind of like blows him a little kiss, like to be like, gotcha. And it was kind of like a fun little like back and forth. But then um, Morgan arrives and she is played by the actress Jane Sibbett. I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. saying the last name right, but she's a very recognizable 90s actress we were talking about this before the record a lot of people probably recognize her as carol from friends yes that was ross's like like uh baby mama right 
baby mama, yes, his first yeah. wife, who he gets divorced from after she falls in love with a woman, which yeah. is pretty progressive now that I think about it too, um, back in the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not even Jane Sibbett's greatest performance, which you'd think I would say was Hedy Newman in Herman's head, but that's not what I'm going to say because her best performance was Clarence Kensington, the lady who Steve Gutenberg is going to marry in the Olsen twins movie, It Takes Two. Was that her? That was her. She's the wife that that him and him oh. and Christy uh, and Christy Alley fall in love. But he's originally going to marry this like really mean step lady, blonde step lady person, and it's that's, that's her. So funny because remember in the Lindsay Lohan, um, the Parent Trap, which is what it yes. takes to is based on. It's yes. that other mean looking blonde lady. Yes. Wow. There's a plethora of uh, really harsh-looking blonde women in the 90s to play these uh, wicked stepmothers. Yeah, so she <clears> arrives. <throat> it's, it's actress Jane Sibbett, and Fran, Fran comes downstairs and kind of tries to pretend that she's Mr. Sheffield's wife, but instantly gets found out as the nanny, which is pretty funny. And then later that day, Fran goes to visit Sylvia, and she's basically like, depressed and second guessing all the decisions she's made in life you know like if this girl and her main rival from high school has had such a different trajectory like it's it's making her evaluate some things and sylvia as you know she does as we've said before had some really like good solid motherly advice she was like sweetheart like don't look into other people's windows because you never know what's really going on in their lives I also have a note that I love Fran's Robin. She had like a Robin's egg blue outfit on. Uh, it's very cheerful in spring. Yes. Um, but basically, you know, Fran, he, Fran hears this and she does actually internalize it, right? Like she actually, mm -hmm. like she goes back to the mansion that day and she she is in a, in a slightly better place than she was in earlier. And this is when she comes in and Niles is, he's like cooking up a storm in the kitchen. This is, this is the best scene. <laughs> Yeah, it was so funny. And I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciations. But basically, he's like, oh, hello, Miss Fine. I've been preparing recipes for your mother's Seder. I've made creplock, simmies, and gribbins. And oh, have I been eating like a hazard. <laughs> and all these are like delicious sort of Polish-Ukrainian like Ashkenazi Jew dishes. Yeah. Um, so yummy. Um, and this episode made me hungry for multiple reasons. Yeah, um, me too. And then, um, you know, Niles also is like, oh, like you seem a lot more, you know, relaxed about this whole Morgan Faulkner situation. And Fran's like, just, you know, I'm the whole bit, this whole scene though, is that Niles is acting, he's spending all day making all this Jewish food, getting prepared for the Jewish holiday. And he is taking on the affectation of like a Jewish grandmother. Yes. Yes. And one of the lines that he has in this scenes is like in my favorite lines. Um, but yeah, it's basically yeah. like, he's like, oh. Mr. Big, he's, he doesn't say it exactly like this. I have it written down, but he's like, Mr. Big Shot, you know, coming in, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, just yeah, like, and we so just big. talked about that, like, last, I think last episode or the episode before yeah. where where Sylvia goes, oh, Mr. Big Shot. And we talked yeah. about how that's <laughs> very common. I heard that often growing up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, but so, you know, Fran is like, well, Niles, like, I am more relaxed because I'm, I mean, I'm trying not to look through other people's windows. At which point we literally cut to her, like, in the hallway of the mansion, looking through the window <laughs> into the living room at Morgan, who's, like, reading a script. And so then Fran goes in <laughs> and she starts up a conversation with Morgan and she's kind of clearly fishing for some details, like, to maybe unearth the fact that Morgan's life, like, isn't as good as it maybe appears. Yeah, but, and she's like... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the 
Morgan is very aggressive in this scene. Like, it's not oh, like yeah. Morgan is, like, kind at all in any of this. Because, like, I feel like, like, to just describe what, like, Fran's side of it loses the fact that, like, Fran steps into the room and Morgan's first line to her is, oh, I'm sorry, do you need to clean in here? And, like, <laughs> it's, like, the nastiest, bitchiest dig uh, so, so she really sets like this pretty awful tone, frankly, for like, you, you know, which like is not to say, I mean, Fran is, like talks a lot of shit about her in the first part of this episode, but she's not there to hear it. So for her to like throw that at Fran, I thought was so rude. Yes. But I think t- like a testament to Fran, Fran is, we've said this before. She's like unflappable, like nothing that, nothing that, um, Morgan says, like actually really bothers her. She's, if anything, like still trying to like maybe use her <laughs> by the yes. end of the scene. But so, you know, as, as Fran is trying to like dig for like Intel about like, Oh, maybe Morgan's life isn't as good as it looks. Um, it actually is, turns out that it might actually be better because we find yeah. out that Morgan's best friends are Uma Thurman and Demi, um, Demi Moore, and that she's <laughs> dating a Kennedy and, and her mom just moved to Boca. <laughs> and she lives and when, in a compound in Malibu. <laughs> yeah. And Fran's only response is she grabs a like lotto ticket out from her bra and is like, can you fill this in, please? <laughs> Basically being like, you, you're lucky and I, I'm garbage. So like maybe if you fill this out, <laughs> something good will happen to me. Um, and at this point, Maggie comes in. She's super upset. And she's like, Fran, I got rejected for Princeton and Vassar. And she's like, I, I'm just afraid I'm not even. Oh, no. She's like almost about to cry. She's like, I just got rejected. And then Morgan's like, honey, don't worry. Like, I didn't go to college. And then um, – Maggie's face like kind of brightens and she's like, really? And then Fran's like, yeah, me either. And then Maggie bursts into tears and <laughs> runs out, which is like <laughs> so mean. So um, mean. I know. And um, but in this scene, Morgan's like, well, hey, you know, my assistant just just moved on to a different job. She should just be my assistant. Like that'll be way better, you know, anyway. Um, and <laughs> Fran's actually her only response to that. Oh, because basically Morgan's like, yeah, you know, she'll hobnob with celebrities. She'll get to go to great parties. And Fran's like, you just met her. Can't you throw me a bone? It's <laughs> like, <laughs> basically like, I'll do it. Um, I'll take you. Yeah. So that yeah, this is what I love though. It's like Fran, like you first think maybe she's going to have some big identity crisis about this whole thing, but she really doesn't. Like she kind of writes herself pretty quickly, like in this, within this episode. But what actually ends up affecting her is the Maggie assistant situation. Cause then we cut mm-hmm. to a few weeks later, Fran is in her bathrobe, sitting in the kitchen at night with Niles. She's like crying while holding Chester and feeding him a biscuit. <laughs> and she's literally just like, you know, not only is Morgan more successful than me, but she's taking my daughter. <laughs> but so she's like really upset about that. And, you know, Mr. Sheffield comes in and he basically sits down next to her and he's like, you know, um, Miss Fine, you need to, you know, you need to stop this comparison game. Um, and then <laughs> Fran's like, Fran's like, it's not about that. It's like, you know, now that Maggie spends all her time with Morgan, I don't even know what to do with myself anymore. <laughs> Mr. Sheffield's like, I mean, you, you could take care of my other two children. And then she goes, eh, I'm distancing myself from them. I owe the money. <laughs> that like, really made me laugh. That was like one of the best lines in the yes, entire series. Yes. 
Because she says, she goes, I have nothing to do all day. And he goes, you could take care of my other two children, which is such a, I have nothing to do all day is such a funny line to say to your boss. I know. So good. Um, And then, but Maggie comes in and it's, she's like super excited and she's like, oh, Morgan is so fabulous. I'm learning so much from her. And then Fran just screams, she's killing me. And then Mr. Sheffield's like, oh, stop it. You know, this job is the best thing that could have happened to her. And then Maggie's like, cool, because um, I'm going to go to Europe with her and I'm not going to college. And she runs up the stairs and that's when Mr. Sheffield yells, she's killing me, yeah. <laughs> which is was not the, you know, anticipated consequence of, of this. Yep. And then we get a scene where we get another great Maxwell, like inadvertently digging at Niles <laughs> line, which uh-huh. cause this basically like we, we cut to the office and Niles is like on his knees, like shining Mr. Sheffield's shoes or floor <laughs> or something. And, uh, and Maxwell uh, opens the scene going, Oh, why talking about Maggie? Why would anyone want to spend their whole life waiting on someone hand and foot, like some bloody lackey. And there's just a beat and Niles goes for the glory, sir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. Oh man, man, the, the, the ever, the ever continuing Maxwell being completely disrespectful to his oldest friend, Niles, yes. is truly remarkable to me. His oldest and best friend. But, but they do a really good job on the show of keeping the balance because basically, like, as this scene continues, you know, the scene is basically Maxwell's lamenting about Maggie going off and being, you know, Morgan's assistant. And Niles gets his digs in because at one point, uh, you know, Max, I was like, I, I just wanted her to go to Oxford or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and Niles goes, oh, four years at Oxford opened a lot of doors for me. And and he's like, as he's saying this, he's literally like squeegeeing the windows. <laughs> I, I felt like though that wasn't a dig at Maxwell. That was still more like a sad moment for Niles. That's <laughs> how I, I mean, interpreted that. It, oh, see, I guess it could be could be that too. I saw the other. I saw it more of just like, yeah, sure, dude. <laughs> like, I meant, I, I meant more like, oh man, it's that's even makes Niles' situation more tragic. He's an Oxford educated man with dreams. It does. You know what really happens in this moment is Mr. Sheffield is like, you know, I'm going to go down to the theater. I'm going to march into Morgan's dressing room, and I'm going to yeah. tell her that she needs to fire Maggie. And Fran, <laughs> who's like flipping through her old yearbook, goes, "No, I'll go talk to her." <laughs> and I love this line. She's like, the whole concept of firing eludes you. I mean, look at who you've got on the payroll. And then she points at herself, Cece, and Niles and goes, Harpo, Groucho, and Drano. <laughs> and I just love like the insolence of like, but also like the, the honesty bomb of like, you're not going to get her to fire anyone. Like you, you literally hire us and we're the worst. <laughs> it was very funny to me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. So we cut to the scene where Fran is at the theater and she goes to talk to Morgan in her dressing room. And Fran, like, basically comes super clean. She's like, listen, like, Mr. Sheffield wants his daughter to go to college. He's like, she's like, personally, I think she's a blonde heiress with legs up to here. So no es necesito. But, you know, that's what he wants. And I I just loved uh, Fran's honesty and her perspective on this. And then they they kind of have this like pretty candid and I thought realistic conversation or like discussion based on like two women who are from the same neighborhood, but like both kind of took different trajectories out. And Morgan's just like, she'll be fine. Like she'll meet lots of people. She'll, she'll make tons of connections and like, she's not going to need college. And Fran's like, (laughs) she's like, she's not like us. She's not a mover and a shaker. (laughs) (laughs) basically and like while she's saying it she's like shoving her face with crab that she's getting for free in the dressing room (laughs) but i think you know in her mind it's like we kind of get ourselves out of what we know and and we have gotten ourselves out of our bubble like i don't really know if like maggie has that in her and like maybe college will expand her brain in a different way than like hanging out with a bunch of rich people in paris I mean, sure, but maybe, but like, like you could make the same argument that traveling around the world would, could do the same thing. Like, it's not like, you know, she's still going to be like getting out of her bubble and going and doing a bunch of stuff she doesn't normally do because she's a high school kid. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, um, I think, yeah, both are valid because I thought about this. My first thought was like, oh, but like, wouldn't actually traveling through Europe probably do more for her expanding her perspective than like a fancy liberal arts college. But then I like took it a step further and I was like she would probably only be around vapid, wealthy celebrities. So, you know, I think there's this, there's the argument that a lot of kids, they first get exposed to some genuinely new and like more radical ideas for the like first time in college. Um, so it, it, I don't know, it could go either way. And it's That's the early true. 90s. So uh, back then college was needed and now you can make all your money on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just start sobbing for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> just be quietly going like. <laughs> I mean, I'm the one who uh, had college a lot of college debt. If anything, I should be sobbing. <laughs> I mean, yes, from a personal standpoint, I was sobbing uh, with the weight of the world on my shoulder. <laughs> yes, true, true, true. Um, but so, oh yeah, so they they kind of you know they have this little back and forth where they're kind of discussing like, does this young girl even need it, you know, based on who she is. And we then Maggie get, co- right, right before that, we also get a cute, I thought was a really cute flair of just a reminder of how much Fran cares about Maxwell because Fran and Morgan are trading like a bunch of barbs back and forth. And there's like a lot of great lines in that scene. But at one point, Morgan just very nonchalantly goes like, Oh, Maxwell, he's cute. 
And Fran immediately goes, and impotent, a tragic irony. And it's like, I thought it was so cute how she immediately is like, no, don't be interested in him. He's mine. You know, like uh-huh. in like the cutest way, and impotent, a tragic irony. Yeah. I, I know. I so did cute. love that. I love the tragic irony. <laughs> I just thought uh, it was such a cute way of showing her like jealousy flare up in like a not, in like a very endearing way. Like she just like immediately puts him, is like, no, he's not worth it. He's mm-hmm. impotent. <laughs> yep. Um, um, and she so yeah, does that a lot though. Like remember in the Pamela Anderson episode where she told she told Heather Biblo that he's gay and then she yeah. told Mr. Sheffield that Heather Biblo was gay just to yes. ensure that yes. they would never pursue each other. I'm <laughs> uh, like, I love it. It's not even a plot point. It's just something it's, she does. <laughs> it's just something she does. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, so then Maggie shows up to the room Mm-hmm. And she, man, this is a line that this it, was wow. the line, baby. She goes. <laughs> so Maggie goes. Today was so cool. I got to meet Woody Allen. And Fran goes, "Oh, that's so great. You stay away from him." <laughs> and you're just like, wow. If, wow. I mean, like, first of all. Good on the nanny for saying that at that time. Yeah, I, I, I was like, yeah, go Fran. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you know, oh, if only you knew. Yeah, how well yep. this joke would hold up. Get it, girl. Say it. Um, but so she says that, and Fran's like, "Honey, here's the thing with this whole situation. I just don't want you to potentially one day regret not going to college." And Maggie goes, "Well, I get it, but like, you know, I can't spend my whole life dwelling on every horrible thing that might happen." And Fran's like. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting you're not Jewish. <laughs> uh, so so we don't really get any resolution here, right? And we cut to Sylvia's apartment, and the Sheffield family arrives. Like, she opens the door, and they're all like, happy Pesach. Uh, Pesach being, like, the traditional kind of, like, Hebrew word for Passover. <laughs> I should mention it's everybody right now except Fran and Maggie because, like, they're, you know, at the theater. And Niles goes, I brought this brisket. I hope it goes with whatever else we're having. And then Sylvia goes, oh, yeah, it'll go perfectly with potato latkes, assuming you brought some. (laughs) So she definitely – Which did make me question like, wait, did Sylvia not do anything for this Passover? (laughs) She made no food? (laughs) She definitely um, leeches off to Sheffield's in terms of using Niles because she also then says, well, you know, you brought the food. It's – only right that you serve it. <laughs> yeah, she immediately sends him into the kitchen. It's yes. very funny. And then she pulls, uh, she holds up a toupee with a kippah on it, which yeah, are the little the hats that Yama, yeah. yeah, which you, you wear in temple or on holy days. And she goes, she grabs Brighton and she goes, can you bring Uncle Morty his holiday hair? <laughs> the idea that the, he has special a special toupee yeah. with the Yamaha. So which, on. by the way, important moment in this episode. We actually see Morty from the back in this episode, oh, sitting at the I, table with them. I I don't even think I realized that. Yeah, we see oh my Morty, God, a man with, with that with that toupee and that yarmulke, is sitting with his back to the audience at the table. He never gets a line, but like when when they're all like sitting around at the table and the camera's like kind of wide he's sitting there and i was like oh it's the first oh appearance of, of morty 
I think I got distracted by the fact that Niles ended up getting squeezed onto a weird a crappy ch- chair instead so of the good. like it should have been Gracie. Like the yes. youngest is supposed to get the crappy chair, but instead yes. one of the oldest people there. <laughs> it's so demeaning. It was so um, funny. Um, so then Frian arrives from the theater, but she doesn't have Maggie with her. And, you know, she kind of breaks the news that like, you know, she she kind of left the decision up to Maggie and it's a little up in the air still. And, oh, and you know, oh, of course, Maggie chose, you know, going out to the like the party where Johnny Depp would be would be over, you know, eating whitefish. <laughs> and that's when we cut to the scene or the moment that we were talking about earlier in the episode that was just like. It was this very earnest Passover Seder scene where yeah. they they really clearly made a very um what sort of conscious decision effort. yeah concerted yeah. effort to ha- show some representation of like Jewish tradition and yeah. culture on television and it wasn't played yeah. for a joke it was literally they had yeah. Gracie reading the four questions which is what you do um, at a traditional Passover Seder and you know certain qu- it's supposed to be the youngest ass and the elder answers and it's designed to sort of remind everybody at the table of all of the trials and tribulations that the Jewish people went through and yeah. why we have certain traditions and being grateful for where we are now and that's just you know that's just part of Passover and so so Gracie's literally reading them and then we we literally have like just reaction shots from like you know what we we see like brighton listening intently right we see like mr sheffield listening intently with a lot of respect right i mean they they genuinely which you know we've seen christmas countless times on television you know what i mean so it's like the fact that they took an extra you know minute to just show the people celebrating the thing was really nice i thought it was great and, and then we get a really uh, funny joke, though, because then they they come out of that, and Sylvia has written a final question onto the paper. <laughs> <laughs> there's always and, supposed to be four questions, and they're yes. the same four questions every year. <laughs> yes, but then Gracie goes like, "Oh," and then and then Sylvia goes, "Don't forget to read the final question." And then the question is basically like, you know, Fran, when will you marry my dad? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah, or dad. When will you marry Fran already? That's what it was. It was dad. Yeah. When will you marry Fran already? And then Fran looks at at everyone and just goes, "That's to remind us of my suffering." <laughs> yes, yes. Which I thought was great. It's like you know, it had that earnest moment, but then it also seamlessly went into comedy. It didn't like dwell on it too long, so it's great. And. Then there's a knock at the door and Maggie enters and everyone's like, oh my gosh, Maggie, like, you know, we didn't think you were coming. Um, and she's like, yeah, she's like, you know, I ended up thinking about what Fran said and I realized like, I don't want to potentially regret not going to college one day. So I, I quit. And, her, and so it kind of like resolved itself and it turns out like, you know, Fran's words did get through to her. And yeah. meanwhile, I was like, man, I'd, I'd probably regret not going to Paris at this point in my life, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, the, the joke at the end of the episode is um, she's like, gosh, and anyway, like Morgan was, was such a slave driver, which funny, um, I would say funny choice of words, given you're at a Passover yes. Seder. <laughs> but yes. Anyway, yes. she's like, what a slave driver. Like, you know, she was going to have me drive all the way to the airport in rush hour traffic to pick up, you know, Barbara Streisand and James Brolin. I'm literally friends like, give me the case. Give me the case. And she's yeah. like, it's a Passover miracle. The Messiah is coming. And she just runs out of the room. <laughs> um, and then the button of the episode is everyone is this. just back at the mansion. And they're like so full. Like their pants yeah, are on the button. Stuffed. They're like 
so stuffed. They're like, I could never eat again. And then just like Gracie kind of perks up a little. And then it's kind of like Fran way goes, but you know, I could maybe go for just a little sweet. And then they all kind of look at each other and they're like, yeah, just like a little notch. Yeah, just like a, a little, little sweet. And then they all yeah. stand up and head to the it was, kitchen. It was so cute. Everyone is slowly becoming like an old Jewish woman. Cause yeah. that the the phrase go for a little sweet was something mm-hmm. that uh I heard countless times also. Yeah. Then this was, that's this the was, episode. This was a great one. I gotta say, ten out of the ten loved this episode. Uh even without any of the Passover stuff. It was a really fun episode. I have so many lines and moments. Hey, so Sean, I think yeah. It was ten plagues out of ten plagues. Oh no. I think all right, without further ado, <laughs> it's time for segments. Uh-huh. And now segments. So Segments. Yeah, no, I think we should move on to segments. I to say we can move on to our segments. And now, segments. Segments. Uh, all right. So, gosh. Uh, well, first of all, Gift horse. We talked about the gift horse in the mouth line, but we didn't talk about the amazing comeback from Niles, which is Cece says, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. And Niles goes, then don't floss in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also liked Sylvia uh, when Fran goes over there to talk to her about Morgan. I loved Sylvia's blatant honesty of just going, Darling, what's bothering you? That she's a big star and you're a maid. Let's see what else. Uh, I also, I really liked uh, I, at the end of the Niles being super Jewish scene, Fran just goes, look, eat a piece of ham, play a sport, but this is weirding me out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that same mind. She's like, this is scary. I, yeah. I love the like generic play a sport. Like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah, eat a piece of ham, play a sport to sh- prove you're less Jewish. It's great. Yep, it's, yep. It's right on. Um, also in the line, uh, in the scene where Morgan opens that scene with like, I'm sorry, do you need to clean in here? Then Morgan later in that scene says, I just shot, a, I just did a pilot, meaning like she shot like a TV pilot. Uh-huh. And Fran, without missing a beat, goes, Really? What airline? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was good. So that good. was salty. So good. <laughs> um, uh, I love when um, Niall says he's thinking about bringing some fresh fruit for dessert to the Seder, and Frank mm-hmm. goes, you're going to slide a cheesecake under it, right? <laughs> I just love the like blatant dismissal of bringing fruit for dessert. Agreed. It's Agreed. such a sick, cruel mania to <laughs> only have fruit for dessert. Um, and then I did love when Fran says, when, when Fran um, claims that the concept of firing eludes Mr. Sheffield because clearly he wouldn't have have her or Niles or Cece on staff. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I thought was um, kind of just nice about this episode, there was a couple moments when I think we're, we're seeing Cece's evolution from less just like mean Cruella DeVille to like more just like 
they're all kind of becoming this family, right? And they all work together. Yeah. And like, she laughs at Fran's jokes. And sometimes they're on the same team. And sometimes they kind of say mean stuff to each other, but it's never like in a super serious way. And like, it, there was a couple times in this episode where that came out. And one was when, um, Fran's like thumbing through her old high school yearbook. And she's like, Ugh, would you look at the beak on Morgan in high school? Her first acting job was on Beretta's shoulder. And Beretta <laughs> was a famous sitcom uh, character who had a parrot or like a, a cockatoo on his shoulder a lot of the time. And both she and Cece just like cackle together. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I like that. That kind of makes me happy. Yes. <laughs> yep. Also, yeah. noteworthy Cece line, I'll say, she goes, I just figured out how to add 10 more seats to the theater. Lose the damn wheelchair row. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, great. Classic Cece. Yeah, she's she's a heartless, cruel woman. <laughs> yeah, she's just you know she's she's growing, but she's yeah. starting from a very low bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you have Yiddish? more? No. Yeah, let's move on to Yiddish. Well, we got uh, Heiser. Ha- yep, Heiser Pig. We got Mamala, which we talked about a few episodes ago. Just to, yep. you know, say it to a little girl's a loving, sort of endearing phrase. Schlepping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was it. But I mean, we could not have asked for a more Jewish episode. So there's, in fact, that's going to lead us into nanny trivia. Okay, let's let's go strap in for the story of Passover as told by Toria Sheffield. mm -hmm, I told Sean to prepare uh, and listeners, you know, strap in, hold on to your butts. Basically, you know, I think a lot of, we were talking about this earlier, a lot of people who didn't grow up Jewish or don't have Jewish roots, like they might've heard phrases. Or hate hate Jewish people. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, we know a lot of our listeners, you know, most of them, (laughs) (laughs) anti-Semites. You have a strong anti-Semite base. (laughs) We have a strong alt-right following. (laughs) Oh Yeah. Alex Jones is a patron of this. But anyway, right. so, um, oh, you know, a lot of people um, might have heard like Passover or even like the like ex- the Exodus story or Moses. And maybe don't really have like a real context for like the narrative or what that means or why it's talked about. Um, I certainly feel that way about like stories from other religions where I've like heard a name, but like just don't know that much about it. Yeah, what's the deal um, with this Jesus guy? <laughs> yeah 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 yes can some like if you know you can maybe like dm us yeah it's just not uh, enough there's just not enough information out there you know it's so obscure so one thing i'll say and i also said this to sean is you know i grew you know we both grew up like hearing the story of passover as kids but now when i revisited it like literally just this week while watching this episode I was like, oh my gosh, it it actually is way more interesting when you're older and have some historical context. And mm-hmm. also I think just have the maturity of like how much, you know, 10 years is, how much 50 years is, all that stuff. But to back up a little, the Passover story, it comes from the Old Testament. Um, well, you're backing up a lot if that's the case. Here's what I want to tell people, Moses' story. Oh, okay. And then, so- yeah, because I want to give them some context. Let's talk about it. He was in. a baby born. I'm going to tell them, Sean. <laughs> no, in a can. van down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, okay. The story comes with the Old Testament. And the Passover story is basically the origin story of Judaism as a religion. It is the origin story of monotheism. And one thing that I think a lot of people ne- might not fully, maybe they know, but they don't fully think about is that the Hebrew people were an ethnic minority in 
the Egyptian empire. They were not a religion yet. Judaism didn't exist. Like there was polytheism. We heard, you know, our people were worshiping hundreds of different gods and deities and praying to different gods for their crops and for rain and for, you know, um, the afterlife. So mono, like no one had like one God, but so there was this minority of this ethnic minority, the Hebrew people, and they were enslaved. So basically in the context of this time, the Pharaoh, who was the king, he was afraid that the Hebrew population was growing too fast and that it would one day lead to an uprising. Like there'd be too many Hebrew people. So he ordered that all the firstborn males in every Hebrew family would be killed as a form of population control. And again, this is a story in the Old Testament. Do we know how true it is? We don't know, but like this is one of yeah. the narratives and the well, like fables. I that think we- it should be it should be pointed out that there is actually no archaeo like there's no historical evidence that Jews were enslaved in Egypt. Like it's a biblical story, um, but like there's no like archaeological evidence. There's no state records. Like there's not there's no actual proof that 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 was the case. It's like it's a metaphor. I mean, like, like the, the it's just a like the story is, as least as far as we know, is a metaphor because like you know there's no there's no like pottery, you know, with Hebrew writing on it. Like there's no like Egyptian records of like a sudden you know migration of Jews. Oh, like, absolutely, the population. Absolutely. Like there's just there is no like evidence in Israel that shows like, oh, a sudden influx of people from another culture showed up all of a sudden, like, you know, so it's a, it's a metaphor, but it's an interesting metaphor. And, you know. Yes, absolutely. And that was one thing I was going to say early on, just I have so many notes on this, that it's, I think one thing as an adult that is more interesting is remembering, like, I, I think when I was a kid, I honestly was so like, so above it all, like I wasn't religious. I was a little atheist that I I didn't really delve into any of this stuff. And now that I'm a person who loves story and loves narrative and loves fable, this was all more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as someone who can appreciate it on that level um, and not just like, you're trying to shove your beliefs down my throat. I'm too punk rock. <laughs> uh, but so in the context of the king had ordered every firstborn to be killed for population control. There was this young slave woman who was like so desperate to save her baby boy. And she she was a young Hebrew woman that she puts him in a basket and sends him floating down the Nile, just hoping that he like might meet a better fate than being slaughtered by the king and the king's army. And the baby floats away and is actually eventually discovered by another young woman who happens to be the Pharaoh's daughter and the Pharaoh's daughter like instantly falls in love with the baby and is like, I'm going to raise him as my own. This baby (laughs) is Moses. And this is like really the start of the story, but that's like the context of like Moses. And again, we're in a polytheistic multiple God society. There is no, there is, we're well before Jesus. We're well before one God. Um, And little baby Moses, even he's a secret Jewish boy, but nobody knows it. And he grows up in like the Royal family and he's like a really good, nice guy. He's a solid dude. But as a young man, he sees a slave owner brutally beating a Hebrew slave. And in an attempt to stop the beating, he accidentally kills the slave owner. And the punishment for killing someone in the empire was death. And Moses, who's like kind of so good and naive that he doesn't realize he could like totally get out of this because he's like a rich dude. (laughs) 
he flees to another land outside of Egypt and is just basically like, I guess I have to spend the rest of my life in hiding now. And I was just like, dude, it's called nepotism. Like, you'll be fine. But whatever. He goes. And he, you know, makes a woman. He tries to build a life for himself in this other place. And then one day, while he's just like living his life, this bush lights on fire. This is like the burning bush of legend. And he goes over to the bush because he's obviously like, all right, like this isn't something you see every day. And then he hears the voice of God, a singular God. And this voice is basically like, I am the one true God. Like all the others are fake. And he tells Moses who he really is. And he's like a Hebrew man. And he's like, and your destiny is to go back to Egypt and free all the Hebrew people from enslavement and lead them out to like your homeland, which which will, is Israel. And Moses takes this very seriously. He goes back to Egypt. He goes up to the Pharaoh and he's basically like, hey guys, um, it turns out there's actually only one God, not many. Yeah. And um, he told me that I need to free all the slaves and just take them out of here. So like, can you be cool about this? And I just wrote, this must have sounded batshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Moses uh, says that if the Pharaoh refuses to do this, God said he was going to cast 10 plagues on the Egyptian empire, like both as punishment and also to, like to prove that he's real. Yeah. Pharaoh, of course, refuses. He's like, I'm not going to give up all my slaves. Like that's cuckoo. And then the 10 plagues do in fact come. And these are like famines, pestilence, uh, horrible stuff. And it kind of yeah. like brings the empire yeah, that to was its the, knees. The, it was famine, pestilence. The third one was horrible stuff. Yeah. Um. <laughs> just, just nasty stuff. But well, so it brings the empire to its knees, right? But, it, but the Pharaoh still is refusing to give up, right? Until the very last plague. And this is that God says he's going to kill every firstborn Egyptian boy. But then he secretly tells the Jews, but if you paint your door with lamb's blood, I'm going to pass over your homes. Yes. And that's why it's called Passover. Passover. Yep. Um, and remember, Old Testament God, super vengeful. <laughs> Yeah. Super brutal. Like personally, I am passing over a lot of yes. other brutalities <laughs> yes. for the sake of time. A lot of yes. a lot of mean stuff that God was doing. <laughs> and then the Pharaoh, who is now mourning the death of his own firstborn son, finally relents. And he's like, fine, get out of here. I'll take your Hebrew people. So Moses begins to lead the Hebrew people like caravan style out of Egypt. But it turns out that the Pharaoh, who is like super angry and bitter, is actually orders an army to follow them and kill them all. And mm. this is where we get the other famous part of a story like this, which is God parts the Red Sea so that Moses and this caravan can literally can like leave. Get, yeah, can yeah. leave and unparts it behind them, drowning the pursuing Egyptian army. And then this is where we really get the birth of monotheism, which is Moses like is leading the people through the desert for 40 years and God tells him the Ten Commandments. He carves them into stone yeah. and he's basically like, okay, you guys are now Jewish people and you will worship me, God, and you follow these commandments. And like we are, we are like a, a people and a religion now. And there's obviously, you know, with all all cultural, you know, religious stories, there's there's so many layers of how deep you go with the interpretation. There's the surface level, which is like the story as it's written, and then it's 
you know, going, you can go from a secular level and be like, oh, did this happen? Did this not? Why is this? There's definitely people who believe this word for word. We're not those people. But there's people Uh, that believe, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. Yes. I think, yeah, like you said, most people, I think many, many people now view these as metaphors and you, you learn the certain lessons or you take away certain things. I, I was raised reformed, but you know, in, in reformed Judaism and that is it's its own, you know, specific thing. And these kinds of questions are, you know, you know, not only allowed, but encouraged. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's why, you know, as someone who, who looks at, you know, much, much more strict religion or strict interpretations of religion and can't, I can't really understand it, but like more power to you if that's your thing. Um, I think Reformed Judaism always spoke to me because of how, how, how much questioning things is encouraged and exploration and understanding ideas beyond the surface is encouraged. I, I, mm-hmm. and, and that's like, I, you know, that I can get behind. I can get behind a conversation. I just can't get behind uh, blind faith, you know? Mm-hmm. Amen, yeah. sister. Thank you. Um, okay. And then who were you in this episode? Um, I think I was probably the miss. I was a combo Mr. Sheffield, Fran, Maggie, because I, I definitely would have chosen to go to college, even if there was a very cool opportunity, um, mm. because of, a, you know, the fear of what could happen in the future and would I regret it mm-hmm. as opposed to like the maybe very cool thing right in front of me. Well, I left college to uh, pursue the ability to make my own comic book. So I think I'm more like Maggie. <laughs> no, I was going to say you're, <laughs> or least, you're, or, or you're from, yeah. no, no, you're the actress. <laughs> oh yeah. You're Morgan. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, you're a yeah, Morgan making, this year. I'm a Morgan. This wow. This year. I'm a Morgan the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> what well, if instead listen, of the like, are you the Samantha yeah. or the Miranda? We just make it really obscure with this episode, the, with like this episode. Are, are you the Fran or the Morgan? <laughs> people are like, what? <laughs> or Fran, Morgan, Niles, or Chester. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Jews and Gentiles alike, we thank you for listening to this very Jewish episode of Oh, Mr. Sheffield, um, where we talked about a very Jewish episode of The Nanny. And now I bid you goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. The flashing girl from flashing, the nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Uh, Miss Fine. <laughs> <laughs>